This episode of the Paddock Pass podcast is brought to you by Renthal and Fly Racing. Hello and welcome to the Paddock Pass podcast presented by Renthal Street. For premium race spec clip-ons developed by some of the world's fastest riders, check out renthal.com. It's obviously been a, a very strange week everywhere in the world this week, but it's also the first week of the MotoGP 2022 season. So we're gearing up for the Qatar Grand Prix here in the Paddock Pass podcast. Neil Morrison's just about to get ready to get in the flight. Adam Wheeler's already firmly into race season after the opening MXGP of the season. David, you're actually sitting in an airport lounge at the minute, which is always a good setting to record a podcast. Um, and... Uh, we're all getting getting pretty excited about the start of the season. It's another year that promises an awful lot. And uh, Neil, I have heard a vicious rumor that you have suddenly become, from being probably the most disorganized man in the world, you've actually booked pretty much the entire MotoGP season so far. It is true, Steve. Yeah, there's a, a new year, a new me. I think I'm up to Finland got everything booked in fact i'll tell a lie saxon ring i still haven't booked my accommodation for saxon ring but up until that point i mean for me i think that's pretty good going um so yeah for a man that's that's arrived at races without having a hotel booked i think this is really impressive a massive step forward neil yeah yeah i put uh, i put a few things up on my wall uh, on january the first where can i make some improvements where can i become a better person and uh, it turns out that um, the years of you yapping at me on the, the Paddock Pass podcast have had some kind of uh, uh, deep impact. So, yeah, I mean, better late than never, I guess. Okay, well, let's look at it then, Neil. If you've booked all the way through to Saxon Ring, how many shitholes are you actually staying in between now and the 19th of June? Uh, I've, I've, actually, I've actually seen the place that Neil has booked for us in Portimao and it looks really, really nice. So um, uh, it's a complete transformation. I mean, basically someone has sort of um, uh, uh, killed Neil and replaced him with a stunt double. Well, that means he hasn't actually booked everything. The other people have booked it for him. I mean, you've, <laughs> you've, you've booked the place in Jerez, Dave. So it's, uh, you know, that, that's not quite a qualifier, really. I said oh. the accommodation is sorted, and I didn't say I booked everything. <laughs> and to answer Steve's question, Indonesia, Steve, it looks like it's uh, basically a hole in the ground. I don't have much uh, optimism regarding there. Um, Argentina, I don't think will be that nice, even though I've paid through the the rear end uh, to stay there. And where else? No, I think apart from that, it's pretty good. Yeah. Okay, well, that's not too bad, Neil. And uh, obviously, you've booked direct flights to all these races as well. You're not going to go around the world for sports just to save yourself 50 quid on the on the opening rounds of the year, especially. Well, if you save yourself a bit more than 50 quid, Steve, I think it's worth uh, doing a little layover for a couple of hours in Istanbul. I mean, that's not going to kill anyone, is it? Istanbul is actually quite a nice airport to spend, what, probably 11 hours like you're <laughs> going to have to do, Neil. But uh, Adam, what about you? Obviously, the MXGP season kicked off a little bit later than expected in uh, the British round last weekend. And uh, now you've got the Qatar Grand Prix as well. So it's full steam's ahead for you. Well, I want to change the chat box to a different colour, actually, Steve, because how many more months of holiday have you got before World Superbike actually begins? I mean, how many more, you know, uh, golf course rounds does that include? Well, um, I'm flying out to Barcelona next week. And uh, obviously that's not for just a couple of days of golf. And then we've got the Catalan test at the end of the month. 
and then we're into into the start of it at the start of April. Look, I've told you boys before, if you want to have a much more manageable season, just switch to World Superbikes. 12 rounds, 13 rounds, you know, an awful lot better than, uh, what, 21 rounds of MotoGP trips and around the world. You don't want that. You want to just be able to have the time to go golfing, take it easy. Neil, you'd be able to do an awful lot more cycling, which would be a good bonus for you. And, uh, you know, I'd have an awful lot more crack if you boys were in the World Superbike paddock as well. <laughs> I think we would all uh, sign up for that immediately, Steve, if we thought we could make some money. But um, unfortunately, they already have a top quality uh, uh, TV commentator, so there's no room for us there. Well, there's no room for Neil there. They've already got a top quality journalist in the form of Gordo, so there's no room for you there, Dave. (laughs) Adam, there's always room for a good looking man like yourself in any paddock, so you can still come to World Superbikes. Those umbrellas won't hold themselves. (laughs) Just wait until we've all done the 21 race season and we'll be i'll be queuing up at the the gates of world superbike for 2023 that's right surely there's a need for a first class podcast crew i mean there, there must be a gap for that yeah i mean, there, I mean there if, if i, if I can Gordon. think of any We're then i'll let you there. know there's no need <laughs> <laughs> obviously enough dave you're sitting in an airport lounge what's the what's the crack with you are you just uh just trying to make sure that you're just getting geared up for the year nice location like you're going to be in throughout most of the season with 21 rounds yeah just getting used to uh, just getting used to flying again um uh, so had a week off after the portimao test um uh, spent some time on the beach spent some a couple of days in lisbon uh watched some lunatic 15 year olds do monster wheelies downhills which i was very very impressed on and also i saw an uber eats driver doing a uh, ride on a scooter doing an absolutely massive wheelie up a hill in lisbon so it was a, it was a good place for wheelies really um uh, heading back home my first race is going to be austin because qatar is a dump and uh, i um, haven't won the lottery so i can't afford to go to uh, to argentina uh, and i'm still not entirely sure what um, all of the various procedures are for um Indon- for indonesia so uh, yeah not th- th- that's that's not going to happen. Um, so, yes, looking forward to going to Austin and then the European rounds. Except for Le Mans, obviously. Can I just say that Austin's a good one to go to, Dave? I'm, I'm also penciled in to work that one. And it's the 500th uh, Grand Prix, um, I believe. Ooh. So uh, there's some special celebrations going on there. I think we'll see all the old uh, American riders being wheeled out. Oh, looking forward to it. Obviously enough as well, if, we're, if we've got most of the paddock pass podcast crew in austin there's always a chance of a little bit of a meet up with some of our listeners from over in the u.s as well obviously a big audience for us over there and this year is going to be quite interesting as well for u.s fans because they've obviously got cameron bobia and also sean dylan kelly in the moto 2 class so that's something to look forward to through the year another thing to look forward to through the year is that obviously paddock pass podcast are at every race almost every test through the course of the season whether it's in the moto gp paddock or in the world superbike paddock so check out patreon.com forward slash uh, paddock pass podcast where we're going to have a lot of content all the way through the season that's going to kick off over the course of the qatari grand prix with paddock notes obviously we've done that all the way through the winter tests as well and that's where the four of us get together on a zoom call to get the latest news from the paddock obviously neil you're going to be our boots on the ground in qatar which is uh, great to see and uh, you're obviously going to have your hands full first round it's always always a lot of fun always a lot of fun Always a lot of fun when you've just moved flats about two weeks before Qatar, um, which means that you haven't had uh, ideal amounts of uh, time to prep. But um, but no, it should be good. Um, I always uh, I always kind of fear the trip out to Qatar. That line to get through the uh, the immigration control is always uh, a low point of the year. Uh, but kind of once you get through there and you get to your hotel, then things start uh, looking up. And I think once we get to the track on Thursday, then 
uh, excitement will start to kick in um, because uh, you know I haven't been to any of the preseason tests, so it's going to be it's going to be fun. I mean, I think you know from what I've from the the kind of colleagues that I've spoken to, we're all a little bit anxious and worried about being away from home so much this year about the kind of travel 21 races is going to be a big big haul but the action on track should be absolutely fantastic i think um it's, it's really shaping up to be a pretty uh, a pretty vintage season uh, also qatar's going to be a bit weird this year because uh, the schedule is different you know we're not racing at eight o'clock we're racing at six o'clock uh, you know the sun has barely gone down it's still twilight uh, even though it will be properly under the uh, uh, under the headlight or under the headlights not the headlights uh, the floodlights that's the one um that i think is going to be very different it's also going to mean there's going to be virtually no time to actually get the bike set up ready for um the race only really fp2 and fp2 is also going to be the time where everyone's going to be chasing for a time so it's going to be like qatar is just going to be really uh, i don't think it's going to mean anything in terms of the bigger season you know the, the whole season just because the data is going to be so weird but um it'll be exciting because there's always good races there it's also it's definitely going to be a contrast to last year where we had too much of qatar by i think the second day of the test uh, you know, and then of course we had two Grand Prix following straight on, but um, I think maybe you know, and we'll find out. I'm sure when we get there, uh, the the change of timetable might be something to do with the consistent complaints between bike setup time between practice and then race time, because once you had a lot of work done around dusk, late afternoon, when the temperatures are much higher, and then you're switching into the evening where this, the the dew comes into effect, the temperatures drop then there was all a sense that the teams were working for two different scenarios throughout the Grand Prix weekend. So now maybe there's a little bit more consistency by squashing the, the timetable together. Obviously enough as well, Adam, it's always exciting when we get to that first round to see if there's going to be any big surprises as well. And Qatar is one of those places that can spring those surprises just because of what you outlined, the big change in track conditions from one session to the next, from the afternoon into the evening sessions. And that's always something that's worth keeping an eye on over the course of the weekend. And that's something that during the course of, especially the Paddock Note shows over the weekend, we'll talk a lot about because it's always one of the big talking points all the way through the weekend. This is obviously a preview show for the Qatari Grand Prix, but it's also a preview show for the MotoGP season. So we're going to break the show up into a couple of different segments. We're going to look at our predictions for the season and uh, we're going to kick things off with who's going to be the world champion in all three classes. So, uh, Neil, you're going to be in Qatar, so we're going to put you on the spot first of all. We'll give you the most chance of not pissing off as many riders as possible so you don't <laughs> have to you don't have to think about anyone that we haven't picked already. So who, who are you going with in all three classes? Uh, okay, so... I think Moto GP is not that straightforward like maybe some previous years. Um, I think Moto Two is a bit of an open bag as well. Moto Three, I have a, a greater deal of certainty. However, my previous form on these topics is usually pretty disastrous, so I may well be uh, giving them like a, a David Emmett esque kiss, kiss of death when I say that they're the, the favourites for this year. But I think I'm going with uh, Mark Marquez to be Moto GP champion. Agosto Fernandez to be Model 2 world champion and Dennis Foggia to win in Model 3. Okay. And uh, what about you, Adam? Who are you going with? I'm surprised Neil just picked three. I was expecting to hear like, you know, a, <laughs> like quite a sizable list of names. So well done for whittling that down, mate. That's very bold of you. Are we actually putting money on the table for these, Steve? Are we Are we uh, kind you, of... You can if you want. Are we backing I'll tell you our... what, Neil, Neil, I'll I, I tell you what, we'll go with that. Neil, what was your three again, sorry? Uh, Mark, Agosto and Foggia. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what, Neil, on the basis of that, you're 
your odds for uh, for an accumulator for all three would be let me just check it would be 200 to 1 sorry 20 to 1 so uh you know are you are you willing to worth put some money where your mouth is on that yeah with a fiver i guess maybe a tenner oh, goodness gracious we're whole... gonna have to up the patreons here somewhat <laughs> a whole 10 euro now where are you getting that sort of money <laughs> I know. Adam, what about you? What's your ah, what, what's bet. your bet? Yeah, sorry, Steve. Right. Um, I'm gonna plump for instead of just saying names, I'm gonna give a reason for the madness. I'm gonna say Juan Mir to be world champion again. Purely because uh, you know, I think he's gonna be a better rider than ever. We saw a sharp surge in progression in 2020 when he won it. Then last year he was brilliant on a slightly underperforming package. Suzuki, there are hints, heavy hints that they've done their homework over the winter. They're gonna be much more competitive, I think. So I'm going to plump for Juan uh, getting the the deal done again this year, uh, even though, of course, a fit Mark Marquez and a better handling Honda is quite a scary proposition. In Moto2, I agree with Neil. Augusto Fernandez has um, the best bike uh, in currently the strongest team. Uh, you know, he emerged at the second half of last year as, you know, uh, with championship form. And, uh, you know, injury barring, I think he also has the maturity to be able to you know, bring the package home. I don't think we're going to see uh, a Ralph Fernandez-esque kind of season from this guy. I think he's going to be steady, steady, steady all the way. Um, and he'll, he'll bring home the number one plate. And then Moto3, I'll tip uh, Sergio Garcia. Uh, you know, at one point he was in the running for, you know, the, the championship with Acosta, uh, you know, and he's probably the most natural pick alongside uh, Foggia. And Neil's waving his hand at me, which means I'm about to be slighted. <laughs> No, I just uh, wanted to point out that as well as being your championship favourite, uh, Sergio Garcia is also the possessor of the most wholesome Twitter feed, I think, in the entire world. Uh, he was uh, he was basically, he had just um, helped some of his uh, his goats on his farm give birth uh, recently and uh, was holding lots of little baby lambs. Just, uh, I mean, you know, lovely stuff. I had no bearing whatsoever on my prediction for his form, you know, but it's a, it's a, it's a worthy update. In these dark, he, he, he doesn't times. seem like he's got the killer instinct, Neil. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not picking him in my bet. Just, uh, just for you, Ad, um, what odds do you think you'd get for your uh, your treble of uh, Juan Mir, Augusto Fernandez, and Sergio Garcia? Well, if Neil's was only twenty to one, mine's got to be like thirty-five to one, something like that. Oh, you need to go a lot higher than that, Ad. You got five hundred and ten euros to one, so uh, it might be worth go. it. Might be worth putting fifty p on it. I'm not yeah. too sure. I'd be put, stretching too much more than that. It's not worth uh, having a go unless you're gonna make some dough. There you go. Yeah. What What about you, Dave? Obviously, your your predictions are always rock solid. Well, my pre- <laughs> my predictions are always right. It's reality which is wrong. Um, the <laughs> the uh, I mean, I I do quite like. The pick of Juan Mir because I think the Suzuki is really good this year and Mir is getting better and better and I, I just think he's a really, really great rider. But honestly, I can't see past Mark Marquez. Marquez is fitter, stronger. Uh, he's moved to Madrid uh, to work on his shoulder. His eyes are fine. Or, well, they're fine. They're good enough to to, to race, uh, which means they're much better than mine. Um, uh, so, yeah, it's just, it's just hard to see past him. And, and, and the fact that Honda have turned the, uh, turned the bike around, I think, gives him a huge advantage. 
uh, Moto2. The funny thing at Portimao was everyone was convinced that Pedro Acosta was going to win the championship. Um, so I think Acosta is going to win too. He just looked fantastic on that bike. He looked so ready. Um, I think uh, Augusto Fernandez is, is also a good shout, but I still think that Acosta is going to take it. Um, in Moto3, I quite like Sergio Garcia. I think that's a really good shout. Um, but I, I think that Dennis Foggia has got something to make up for and he, he's going to bring it home. Well, Dave, you'd get uh, 11 to 1 for your predictions. So you're playing it nice and safe. You've gone with the three favourites across all three <laughs> classes. So uh, that, that that's a good option. So no that's doubt, cursed no doubt them, about then. It. Is the favourite Model 2? Yes. Acosta is the favourite Model 2. Yeah, even Goodness money. Is this Paddy Power, Steve? <laughs> uh, well, we're not sponsored by any gambling website, so I won't give any of them any uh, any credit at this time. But I, I am on a site just to, to see what the odds are. I do feel that uh, I should probably qualify my predictions uh, because I didn't do so like uh, the two honourable gentlemen and I'm looking at at the moment. Yeah, Marquez, I mean, just what Dave said, really, um, he's probably in the best physical shape since his big crash at Jerez in 2020. Uh, he still won three races last year with uh, one arm basically in full working order. Um, you have to imagine his, his physical condition has improved a great deal since then. Um, he's made the sacrifices, Dave said, to move to Madrid. Um, to help with that and um, yeah Honda just looks like a sorted package um, Augusto was super fast in pre-season testing despite breaking his thumb I think uh, well a month ago essentially um, and he's also in you know the best team in the paddock for the Moto2 paddock um, and yeah Foggia just you know on the basis of last year plus his testing performance in Portimao I think was really quite ominous um, he was able to do so many fast laps by himself um, yeah I think yeah, I think it's going to be maybe a bit of a demolition job from him this year. So, um, yeah, those are the, the kind of reasons behind my predictions. One reason I'm a little unsure about Mark is that, you know, as a rider and in terms of his fitness, unquestionable. But because the Honda has altered, um, how long will it really take him to find the limits of that motorcycle? And, and is he going to be able to go like before with his usual MO to find those limits uh, what happens if he oversteps them again and risks another injury? Uh, I, that's that's the only question mark I have because I think when it comes to people like Paulo Spargaro and Takanakagami and Alex Marquez, you know, on the RCV, then you could see a really, really interesting season from those guys. But Mark still has a couple of questions to answer just in terms of his synergy with a bike. Uh, in terms of... Uh injury this is something that mark addressed previously i think he addressed it it's a pang saying look basically he has exactly the same uh risk of injury as anyone else uh, uh i mean he has or rather he has exactly the same risk of injury sort of whether he falls off now whether he falls off in 20 years there's no difference so he's going to ride he's going to be riding the same and in terms of adapting to the bike if there's one thing that we've learned about mark is that he he adapts really really quickly uh so you know two races and he'll be he'll have the, the bike figured out uh i i really can't see him and if he starts winning uh at austin which you know you'd be foolish to put money against him at Austin. Uh, then and he's and he's got a few podiums on the way. Then then he's really going to be very very tough to beat. Um, it's also interesting that no one sort of uh, said Peko Banyaya because you know Banyaya sort of seems to go into the championship as favourite. Well, we haven't uh, listened to Steve English's uh, predictions for the season. 
I was going to say there's a, a lot of hands going up there just uh, in in the what in the Zoom call just to get my predictions and just uh, so you know just to to give it as a quick note. Obviously, Marquez and Foggia to the the absolute favourites like we've talked there. That's a four to one double, which isn't actually too bad to to look at. But I'm going to plump for uh, Pekka Bagnaya in the MotoGP class mainly because I have to believe at some point in time having the best bike on the grid will give Ducati a chance of actually winning the championship for the first time since Stoner. Um, I go with Fadji and Moto Three just because of of what we saw from him last year. I do like Adam's shout though for Garcia as well. He's he's always impressive. Moto Three is going to be quite an interesting championship as always. Moto Two, Moto Two for me is quite difficult to call because I like the Augusto Fernandez bet, like all all of you as well. I think Augusto, whenever he's on form, is fantastic, and we saw that purple patch in the middle of last year. He had four podiums out of five races. Pedro Acosta, it's a lot of pressure to put on a young rider to go out there and be the title favourite to go and get the job done. And given what we saw from him last year, he obviously proved his his speed and his talent. But I, I think it's I think it's a big ask as it is right now. I think for me, the big question mark in Moto 2 is what Sam Lowe's wrist is like. Obviously, that's curtailed him a lot in the winter tests. Um, but we've also seen over the course of the last few seasons just how strong and consistent he can be whenever he he gets himself into that right groove. So for me, I'd be picking between Acosta, Fernandez, and Lowe's. If you're looking for good value, Lowe's at, at eight to one isn't a bad bet. But obviously that wrist injury is going to hold him back. So maybe I'll go with Augusto for the championship just because he's starting the year fully fit and we've got such a, a tough start to the season with those flyaway rounds but I think Moto2 is going to be really interesting this year I like the look of Kanet Ayagura has obviously got to have a really strong start to the season like Adam you mentioned Nakagami earlier on Nakagami needs to have really good races between now and Hareth because if Agura goes out and wins one of those early season rounds why wouldn't Honda put him on a MotoGP bike next year? So I think there's a lot of riders across all the championships that are under a lot of pressure, and I think it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. Uh, I think, first of all, about uh, Acosta and pressure, he's never really shown any sign of pressure. You know, Even when he was close to winning the championship, you know, he just stayed cool, stayed calm, never really seemed to get upset about it. And about Ducati... I uh, yes, it is the best bike on the grid, but they still haven't got it dialed in. It, it felt like, especially at Mandalika, that they didn't really have the bike as dialed in as they need to be. There's question marks over whether this front uh, ride height device is going to be uh, ruled legal to be used in uh, Qatar. That's still completely open. Although you would think that by now uh, there'd be a, uh, uh, there'd be a decision on that. Um, but it, it felt like just looking at in terms in terms of race pace, Fabio Quattro Toro's race pace looked better than um, uh, looked better than Pekka Banyaya's um, uh, on the race tyre. I think there is still work to do. I think by the end of the year again, we're going to see that the Ducati is the best bike on the grid. But it, I don't think it is right now. I think there is there is still has problems. Yeah, it is interesting, Dave, that the first mention we've had of Fabio is now. None of us <laughs> think he's going to defend the championship. Obviously, it's very difficult to go out there and defend the championship unless you're you know, the likes of Mark Marquez and, and the run of form that he went on. But we also know that Mark had a bike that was perfectly suited to him. He was able to get the most from it. And, you know, he's also Mark Marquez, the best motorcyclist we've ever seen. Quattararo and Yamaha, we've talked about it already on the pod over the course of the, the last couple of weeks, especially since testing started, that Fabio has been talking a lot, Neil, about the 
shortcomings of the Yamaha and you know whether or not this is a negotiating tactic by him to try and force them to develop different things on the bike or to pay him a bit more because obviously coming into this season you know Franco Morbidelli was really good two years ago but had a really tough 2021 bad injuries as well so how fit is is Franco to get himself onto that uh, level again so Fabio comes in really in a strong position to tell Yamaha what he needs and he spent the winter pretty much bitching and moaning about the Yamaha to try and force them to do things. Exactly, yeah. It's, uh, I think it's definitely one of the year's more intriguing storylines, um, how Fabio's title defence goes. Um, I think uh, he'll still be a contender. I, I can still envision him you know, defending his crown like a champion and uh, and, and attacking and, and being all action, like uh, much like the rider we saw last year. Um, but I just think um, for Yamata, Yamaha to have stood still um, during a winter when um, its its direct rivals have made clear steps forward, or if not at the moment, will have made clear steps forward by the time we get to Europe. Like Dave was mentioning about Ducati, you know, you have to imagine by the time we get to Mugello, that will be a pretty fearsome package. Um, I just think it's too much for, for Fabio to do. He was already kind of on the limit of what he was doing last year. And, um, you know, his major rivals have taken a, a step forward since then. Um, so I think um, we can see you know, Fabio up front fighting, but I think it's just going to be maybe a step too far um, for him uh, this year. Um, but, um, you know, I'd just like to add, I did predict Marquez being the favourite, but I do think it's probably going to be one of the, you know, if he is to win the championship, it will be one of the more tougher tougher seasons because I can see Peko, Mir, Fabio all winning multiple races and being, you know, contenders in the title race maybe up until the final third of the season, maybe a bit further. So, you know, I, th- I think we're in for a, a really exciting year. Yeah, because Neil, just to carry on from that, obviously Marquez during all his title seasons was incredibly consistent. Quattro last year, the most consistent rider on the grid. It is that week-to-week performance that does make the big difference in MotoGP now. And I think that's obviously one of the things that these early rounds, really tough flyaway rounds, will go to Indonesia. It'll be a new track surface as well. So everyone will know their way around the track, but they're going to have to contend with that. So being able to get that good baseline right from the start and give yourself a chance on the four flyaways is going to be crucial. I'll say the um, one of the marks of this season as well is going to be strategy. You know, with eight Ducatis on the grid, uh, there's going to be a point where those Italian bikes or senior management or whatever start to rally together. You know, whether it's Bagnaia or it's Martin or it's uh, Jack Miller, even Zarco, which, you know, I predict this season will go the same as ever and you'll have a big bright spell and then also races where you can't explain the reason for his lack of competitiveness. You know, if if those guys start to really hover at the top of the championship and, and they're making a serious play for it, then you can see them all kind of ganging together. Um, you know, there's not obviously I think team orders is going to be a real stretch. But then compared to factories such as, you know, Suzuki, only two riders, uh, Yamaha, it's hard to imagine Darren Binder or Andrea Davizioso at this point having much to say you know, in their assistance when it comes to Quattararo, uh, Morbidelli as well, like you pointed out, Steve has got question marks over him. Um, I think, you know, there's just a weight in numbers aspect there. Uh, and, you know, the Jag- that's where Ducati have such a lot of power. And curiously, because it's a complete flip to what we've seen in previous years, the Hondas could be like uh, a, a real little group, a posse helping each other and helping Marcus out through the year. Um, I believe that, you know, the bike could be flexible enough or versatile enough to allow riders to actually get in and, and take some points away from other riders before it was only really Crutchlow who was making a nuisance of himself in the top 10. Uh, yeah, I, I 
do think that if with I mean yeah sure there are eight Ducatis on the grid uh, but the other thing is you've got Paco Bagnaia you've got Jorge Martin you've got Jack Miller you've got um, uh, Joan Zarco you've got Anaya Bastianini even Luca Marini was really really strong during testing um, they could all end up within sort of four five six points uh, uh, of each other by shall we say the halfway mark um, and then you've got to pick a favourite then it becomes actually more difficult and they could end up sort of actually taking points off of each other because they justifiably have the idea that they can win the championship. So I really, uh, I think that might be more of a hindrance than a help. Um, uh, I think within Honda it's going to be much clearer because it's going to be, uh, look, Mark is going to be champion and uh, Paul I think Paul is going to have Paul Spargo is going to have a really really good season. I think he's going to get some podiums and uh, and uh, maybe also a win or two. Um, but he will. It will be made very clear to him that his uh, his. Uh, I think it was Kuwata San said at the start of the year. Uh, Honda's objective is to be first and second in the championship, and it will be made made very clear to him what position he is supposed to be in. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with that. And that's actually going to be one of the potential topics for the next segment that we go into. We're going to take a quick break on the Paddock Pass podcast, though, before we talk about some of the big surprises that we see coming in the 2022 season. Fly Racing introduces the new FL2 glove. With molded hard knuckle protection, this race-inspired glove is equipped with palm and gauntlet sliders, and touchscreen compatible fingers. Available in three colors and sizes from small to triple X, the Fly Racing FL2 glove is the perfect answer at the perfect price. Check out flyracing.com to see more. Welcome back to the Paddock Pass podcast presented by Fly Racing and Renthal Street. So we teased, teed it up just before the break, our big surprises of the 2022 season. And uh, David, we'll kick off with you first. What's your big surprise that you see? Um, well, my big surprise is, is it really a surprise? Is Honda. I really think that Honda have finally made a bike um, which is better than which is just a good motorbike i mean it, the, the way that the which i don't think they've done since maybe the rc211v the original 990 um the it, it it seems that all four honda riders were fast on the bike and they were also very consistent if you look at takanaki gami's race runs at mandalika for example they were just outstanding um it seems that everyone can use this bike uh, and to be able to do that in two years uh, they haven't been able to develop the the bike in two years, um, and they've been doing it on the background. Uh, in the background, they couldn't change the engine, and they've taken this. They've made a radically different bike, um, and it works right off, of, uh, sort of, you know, straight away. Straight away, it seems like a complete rounded, uh, relatively sorted package. Um, obviously, there's still room for improvement. There's still room to refine it, uh, but it's just, you know, it, it, it's just really good right now and that to me is a huge surprise normally it takes normally you get a new bike and it takes you a year to to for it to be truly competitive in all environments but so far the 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 the, the thing is looking really good yeah they've spent the whole winter test and it has looked like everyone else is able to ride that bike and that's been really impressive all the way through but uh, neil what about you what do you see as your big surprise coming for 22 i uh, agree with dave i think honda look to be in, in fantastic shape um, but I think my big surprise of the year is maybe going to be Alex Rins just because I don't really hear anyone mentioning Alex Rins with regards to being a player 
in the, the title fight. Um, you know, with good reason, I guess. He was 13th overall last year. I think he had six crashes out of MotoGP races. Um, I mean, it was a it was a horrible year for Rins. Lots of mistakes under pressure when he was fighting at the front of races. Um, however, I would just like to, you know, kind of go back to Rins' previous form of MotoGP prior to 2021. You know, he was fifth overall in 2018, uh, had five podiums. He won his first race uh, in 2019, finished fourth overall, then, you know, was third in 2020. Um, despite riding most of the year, in fact, pretty much all of the season with uh, a damaged shoulder. Um, the Suzuki is a better package this year. It looks as though they've addressed some of their top speed weaknesses from the previous uh, the previous campaign um, without sacrificing any of the, uh, the, the really good handling characteristics um, for which the, the GSX-RR is uh, notorious. Um, you know, they've installed a kind of figurehead as the, the team boss in Livio Supo. Um, I think that's going to be fascinating to watch, but, um, you know, maybe that could have a, a bit of a positive influence on uh, on the, the team and uh, the results. Um, and, you know, I just think that we kind of forget how good a, how good a rider Alex Rins is. He had a, a really, really strong preseason. Um, I think he was seventh at Sepang, seventh fastest. Sorry, he was actually fourth fastest at Sepang, and he was seventh fastest in Mandalika. Um, but his rhythm was pretty solid right the way through. I think Johan Zarco uh, spent some time behind him in Indonesia and pointed out just how strong Rins was. Um, and I'm not expecting him to be champion, but I think um, I can see Rins coming back and winning races this year, maybe being uh, one of the names that's fighting towards the front in the championship, certainly for the, the first part of the season. Um, and it just strikes me as... Uh, as, as a kind of figure that's been a bit forgotten about, um, you know, before Joanne Mir came into the came into the class, you know, Rins was was being talked off as maybe a, a potential future champion. Um, so I think you know we'll just maybe uh, set last season to one side. Yes, there were lots of mistakes under pressure, but I think you know he's gone away, had a bit of a reset. Apparently, he's taken his uh, his off training and his fitness a lot more seriously than before uh, this winter. Um, and you know, judging by his uh, six pack shot on the beach at Mandalika uh, before the Indonesian test, uh, there were some uh, quite clear, tangible results in terms of uh, yeah, the definition in that six pack. Not that I was studying it too closely. Um, you spend an awful lot of <laughs> your time on the social media accounts of these writers, Neil. I've noticed on the course this pod so far. Which do you prefer, Alex Rins' six pack or uh, Sergio Garcia and uh, and his uh, his his goats lambs? <laughs> oh, Garcia every day, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> just just to take on from what you're saying about Rins obviously the early season races are the crucial ones for Rins because Suzuki does have a major upheaval you mentioned about Livio Supo coming in obviously you guys talked about it last week on the pod but what's really important for Rins is in a contract year to hit the ground running he'll go to Qatar where he's at three top six finishes I think he's finished fourth a couple of times as well so he's been close to the podium in Qatar if he can get a good result at the start of the year and a good result isn't necessarily a podium it could just be a top five finish and then you go to the rest of those flyaway rounds where you've got Indonesia where he tested well, he's had a podium in Argentina, he's won in Coda. By the time we get to the, the European rounds, he might have a lot of momentum behind him and suddenly, you know, Suzuki will look at it and say, let's keep let's keep Rins on our bike next year. Obviously, Mir is their big push to make sure they keep him. But Alex Rins is a really good fallback option. And like you said, Neil, there's been a few years where he's been a really strong contender all the way through. I think his biggest problem is obviously that run of form he had last year where he had all those crashes. But uh, you'd certainly expect that that should be a blip rather than the norm for a rider. Rins' talent. Yeah, I mean, honestly, what I found quite surprising about Alex Rins was that he was a 
a lot more relaxed and a lot more focused than I've seen him in, uh, you know, in recent years. So it really felt like he was sort of back on top of his game. So, it, you know, that that's a decent shout. Yeah, his debriefs were interesting. I mean, not to, you know, Alex Rins is a, is a great guy, but I think he, he would maybe admit himself that in the past he just doesn't really switch on and, and, and really analyze himself when he's in front of us, which is, you know, fair enough. Why would you want to give insight to a scabrous bunch of journalists like us? Um, but, you know, I thought it was quite notable during preseason that even his debriefs were, were quite interesting and quite insightful. Maybe that wasn't always the case in the past. Yeah, but then we are basing his potential form on the size of his six-pack. So, uh, you know, <laughs> whatever he says in a debrief and that's, is there by the by. But, I mean, some of the comments you guys have made so far, I mean, it seems incre- incredible to think that we would regard Honda as a surprise this year. And when they're the biggest, most powerful manufacturer in MotoGP, um, it shows maybe for far too long they've relied on Mar- Marquez's genius to to deliver the goods and finally you know there's been uh, something of a culture shift you would you could speculate uh for the manufacturer to actually make a motorcycle that could be a little bit more uh receptive to the feedback and styles of other riders but um when it comes to rins i, I just i just have my doubts i uh, i mean like you say neil you, you're you're on the money when he says that he's has the technique and the talent but i think there's a mentality problem there uh you know he's been beaten by juan mir and uh, i think mir when it comes to the mental side of it is a superior rider, uh, you know, and is more skilled at building a championship campaign as we've seen because Rins has just blown so hot and cold. If you think of some of Rins's race wins, I mean, the mugging of Mark Marquez in Silverstone, I mean, that was one of the most uh, spectacular MotoGP finales we've seen in recent years. Um, but where where is that guy, you know, on, on every other weekend in MotoGP? Last year, he, he struggled with a front-end feeling on the Suzuki and just couldn't sort it out all season long. And like you pointed out, there, there does seem to be a lack of focus, some sort of distraction, whatever it was last year that caused him to fade to the role of a MotoGP bystander. And if I was Livio Supo and coming into Suzuki, I'd say, right, guys, our priority is to get Mia nailed down to a new contract. We need another two years out of this kid. Secondly, we need to look a little bit to the future. Where's where's our next Mia? Are we going to try whatever we can to sign Raul Fernandez? Uh, are we going to try and sign Augusto Fernandez? Are we even going to push the boat out and try and sign somebody like Pedro Acosta to move up to MotoGP in two years' time? Uh, you know, that's that's you know for me that would be Suzuki's main orientation aside from getting another satellite team somehow. Uh, I don't think you know they're probably looking at Rins as the long-term future of Suzuki. Yeah, I think for me, one of my big surprises coming up for this year is going to be that rider market, Ad, and you've mentioned a lot of what could go into it. I think we could easily have a few placeholder riders, and Rins could easily find themselves being kept on by Suzuki just because they won't find that many better alternatives than him right now, unless it is really pushing the boat out and trying to to do something a bit special. But their focus has to be on keeping Mir. He won a championship for them. Everyone knows what Mir can do. And like you said he can build a full championship. Rins is a, he's a, he's a race for today kind of guy. He wants to win races and championships will take care of themselves for him. Whereas Mir is probably a lot more inclined the opposite way where it's look at the long term, look at the, the whole season. And if you have to settle for second, settle for second. I think Rins is that rider that will push for the win rather than take the save 20 points. That can be a good contrast to having your riders as well. And uh, it'll be interesting to see what Suzuki end up doing for next season really with it but uh, I, I, for me at least I think the biggest surprise is going to be what happens on the rider market because 
do Ducati keep both riders? Do they move Jorge Martin up to the factory team? What happens to Miller if that's the case? Do KTM keep hold of both of their factory riders? Obviously, they've invested an awful lot in the likes of Brad Binder and Miguel Oliveira. But can they manage to keep Raul Fernandez if they put him on a factory bike? What happens with Acosta if he goes out and wins races early in the season? Who do KTM put on their bike? And I'm, I'm really keen to see how all those kind of dominoes fall into place. But I also think... Like, like I said, it could be a season where a lot of manufacturers just think maybe it's a, a year too soon for this rider or that rider and they end up holding station with people. I think you're going to be disappointed, uh, Steve, because um, Raul Fernandez is going to sign with Yamaha. Um, Pedro Acosta is going to move up to MotoGP with KTM. Uh, and I think the rest are pretty much going to stay the same. We might see Ayagura take uh, over Takenakigami's uh, spot. Um, but apart from that, I really can't see very many... Uh, I can't see much reason to change. I think it's going to be, be very much much of a muchness. Yeah, well, like I said, Dave, for for me, one of the big the big things is that teams might struggle to see the benefit of making a big change right now because we've got so many young riders that are early in their MotoGP experience or young guys that could come through from Moto2. Because I think when you look at the Moto2 field, obviously, the standout names are the likes of Acosta, given what he did last year, but he's still only a 17-year-old kid. So it is tough to forecast exactly what he's going to do over the course of a full season. Augusto Fernandez, he had that purple patch in the middle of last season, but overall his two years with Mark VDS, they've been a big disappointment. So switching to the IO team, is that suddenly going to turn around his fortunes? We've seen it happen for some riders and not for others. I think that's going to be one of the big things to, to keep an eye on. But then again, the other side of that is who then puts him on a, a MotoGP bike potentially for the following year. Obviously the IO KTM links is, is probably the easiest option, but he's going to need to do a really good job in those early rounds. And that's where, for me at least, I look at those four flyaway rounds for everyone as uh, being that big key for what happens with the market. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I, I don't think Pedro Acosta is going to come up that quickly. Uh, you know, we, it's easy to say the same thing for Raul Fernandez and look what happened. But, uh, you know, I can see a seat being free at Tech 3 KTM in 2023 with whatever Fernandez does. And then Steve, the, the biggest the biggest movements are, you know, Quateraro's contract, where does he go? Paulo Spargaro, can he hang on to that second Honda? Because that has to be one of the few desirable options. Um, especially as we've said, the Honda looks pretty tasty for this season. And then Juamir, you know, once these kind of three sort of slots are sorted out, then you'll probably see, you know, the other the pieces fall into place. Yeah, I do think as well, like you mentioned about what we saw from Raul Fernandez doing one year in Moto2 and then stepping up. It's also a lot easier to do that whenever you spent, I don't know, four or five years racing the Moto3 bike, whether it's in the Spanish Championship and the CEV and the Junior World Championship, and then making, I don't know, 40 or 50 starts at the World Championship level before jumping onto a Moto2 bike. You know, Acosta did a really good job in the test. Dave Dewar out in Portimao and you saw how impressive he is. But it's very different to do that during the course of a test where there's no pressure. And then when we go to the first round of the year where everyone expects him to to be fantastic. And it's going to be interesting to see how he deals with that. Because, Dave, you mentioned earlier that he doesn't feel pressure. That four-race run last year from Silverstone until Coda, obviously there was the big crash in Coda, but when you look at Mizano and things like that, he went off the boil a little bit when Foggia really came to the fore. So I think uh, that's what's going to be quite interesting to see how he deals with all that pressure. And uh, obviously enough, Adam, you're the man under pressure now as well, because what's your <laughs> big surprise for uh, 2022? 
I'm going to go for the man who seemingly maybe can't cope with pressure. I think uh, Maverick Vinales is going to have uh, an interesting season this year. You know, he's gone through the turmoil of um, a long contract or a long association split with Yamaha. Uh, the Aprilia is getting better and better. Maverick, I think we would all agree, has more natural ability than someone like Alessia Spargaro, even though you have to admire Alessia's stubbornness in, in his application and his consistency in always trying to squeeze the, the, the every possible tenth out of a package. But, you know, if the Aprilia gets anything near like a bike that can regularly get on podium contention, then Maverick's going to be the one that's going to put the, the bike on the box. Um, you know, he's now a father, he's settled. Uh, I just, I, I think, you know, he he's going to surprise us. I think he, he will be a name that many people wouldn't consider as a, a serial Grand Prix winner. And I'm not saying he's going to be that in this year, but uh, I think, you know, he will be a case of him popping up and people saying, oh, okay, we didn't consider Vinales and his competitiveness at this circuit. This is traditionally a Honda track or this is traditionally a Ducati track. And now, now we see like a, a black Italian bike putting it in there. So that's my, uh, that's my little bet for the year. I think the most important thing for Vinales is uh, the environment he's in. And it does seem like, uh, Aprilia is going to be a better environment for him. Yamaha at the end was extremely toxic for him. He just didn't work there. And um, yeah, like you say, settled, uh, has a kid, all the rest of it. I think that's going to be really work really positive for him and help him through his weakness. I think one of the positive things from Vinales throughout preseason is he's been saying that he still doesn't feel quite comfortable. He still doesn't feel like it's his bike, like the bike setup is optimal for him and his riding style yet the speed is there i mean he's been fast pretty much at the, at the two tests we've had he's been very consistent at the two tests that we've had um so you have to feel that once he does get really comfortable feel that the aprilia is his own bike then um yeah there could be some interesting results to come also i thought it was interesting that aprilia have hired uh, fabrizio maganzi who i think was Fab, um fernando alonso's ex-physical trainer to uh, to work with maverick this year they're trying to I don't think Maverick's fitness has ever been in doubt, but perhaps you know the mental side of his uh, of his riding and, and his application has uh, you know he can sometimes lose a bit of focus, get upset and angry uh, when things aren't going his way. Having someone of experience like that in his corner, um, you know, could be a great help. I don't think we're going to see Maverick win races this year, but yeah, maybe the the occasional podium he could pop up with um, a surprise result here and there. Yeah, because obviously, like Adam said, he is a better rider than what we've seen from Aleish over his career. And there's a few race tracks where Maverick just has always excelled, you know, Phillip Island, where last time we were in Phillip Island, Aprilia actually led the race. So that could be one to keep an eye on Silverstone. He had a win and a, po and a pole position for Suzuki there, podiums for the Yamaha. So that could be a track where the rider makes a difference. Be interesting to see if he's able to do something there. And that's going to be a big storyline to keep track of all the way through the season. And I think one of the other big storylines to keep track of is what do we expect from the rookies? Because we've obviously got five rookies in the class this year. We've got, we've already mentioned Raul Fernandez. He's teamed up with Remy Gardner at the Tech Talk ATM squad. And then you've got uh, Bezeki, Digia, and also uh, Darren Binder as well. Obviously Binder, one of the, the big storylines at the end of last season, whenever he ended up getting that seat. But it's going to be interesting to see how all of these rookies fare out. And uh, Adam, we haven't come to you first yet. So we'll give you first crack at it. And uh, who's going to be the top rookie in 2022? It's hard to pick a name from that list. Uh, I do think Ralph Fernandez is going to ape some of his Moto2 form in terms of raw speed. But then I also think Hervé Poncheral is going to be banging his head on the table at the uh, the hammer into the spares budget 
you know, I, I don't think it's going to be pretty at times. But, um, you know, Fernandez, if anything, showed us at the end of his Moto, uh, Moto 3 term that he had the, the speed and qualification, if not quite the racecraft. Uh, in Moto 2, it was, it was kind of the same thing, really. There was a couple of situations where Raul chucked away his championship hopes. I mean, that's an indication of, well, of how young and how relatively inexperienced he is. Um, I just think the kid has no fear. Um, he knows he's wanted by factories. He knows he's under the microscope. So it's a case of, I, I think, you know, he's got that little bit edge, a little bit more swagger, a little bit more confidence. Uh, I think he'll be the man that pushes ahead. You know, and, you know, he's in the team with a guy he was fighting with the championship last year. And the roles are reversed slightly because the experience of someone like Remy Gardner in Moto 2 helped him win the world championship. Whereas now I think it's a case of like, we just we we're both starting at zero in terms of our knowledge of this bike and this class and the set of electronics we have ahead of us or, or to our disposal. So now it's going to be a case of like the fiercest natural talent is going to shine from the off, and I think that's going to be Raul. Yeah, because I think when we look at last season, obviously you look at whether it's Moto three or Moto two. A lot of the times, having that experience makes a big difference. And last year. Remy did have a massive gulf compared to uh, Raul in the course of the season, especially when you're comparing two teammates. And we saw that Fernandez had that outright speed and Remy just had that consistency and the bit of racecraft, a bit of guile. We saw him really able to manage the tire well. You know, Adam, you had him pinned down as your people's champion from about round five <laughs> and uh, he ended up being the actual champion. But it is a very different set of circumstances once you move up to MotoGP. I suspect, Steve, that, you know, Remy could be more methodical. But, you know, with that preseason wrist injury, I think in the first few Grand Prix, it's going gonna, it's gonna to have a bit of a, a tell. Um, and, but, you know, it's fascinating. Like I say, we've said before on the podcast, we've got a story within the story. So it's, it's going to be good to see how people, the likes of Bezeki, uh, Digia, and also Darren Binder, you know. I mean, the cynical part of me say, which rider is, is Darren going to hit first? But... You know, he's also quite capable of like, you know, putting on an impressive qualifying and, and getting, you know, on the first rows of the grid and and uh, raising a few eyebrows. Just one thing about that as well, lad, because obviously that is going to be one of the big talking points coming into Qatar this weekend. The one thing with Binder is, given what we saw from him in Moto3, is that he won't be able to ride like that on a big bike. So he's not going to have similar instance as uh, what we saw a lot during the course of his Moto3 career. You have to ride a MotoGP bike so differently that uh, those kind of incidents and clashes and crashes that he had with other riders should be avoided now on a bigger bike. Should be avoided, <laughs> I say. Uh, Neil, what about you? Well, um, I, you know, at the end of last year, I thought I, I wholeheartedly agreed with Ad and uh, thought that Raul was going to be the pick of the rookies um, and maybe even challenging, you know, occasionally for real surprise results. Um, but just hearing some murmurs from, uh, you know, KTM and, and, and the situation with Fernandez, I mean, it is clear that he still wants out of that arrangement. Um, and, you know, Dave mentioned that he expects him to be uh, on the Yamaha next year. Um, I just feel that eventually that is going to start to pay um, and it will affect his results, it will affect the mood in the team, it will affect the mood maybe with Raul and KTM and uh, he won't be able to maybe perform it at his best. You know, I kind of get the impression that Raul, I guess every rider thinks this, but Raul is probably looking at the preseason thinking, if I was on the Yamaha, I probably would be up there in the top 10, but I'm crashing my brains out in Mandalika and I'm struggling down in 20th overall. Um, I think the KTM maybe isn't the still isn't the, the, the kind of the finished article. It isn't the, the most consistent package. 
And I can just see frustrations growing there from both Raul, from KTM, and from maybe Harvey Poncheral in Tech 3. Because it's clear that he's still, despite KTM moving heaven and earth last year to make him happy, it's, it's clear that he's still not entirely content there. So I think that uh, Remy Gardner is going to be the, the rookie of the year, um, partly because of the, the, the issues with Raul and just because he is a little bit more methodical, you know. Um, he has obviously um, been handicapped by a wrist injury through preseason, and that hasn't helped him. I still think Remy is maybe going to have a bit of a slow start to the season as a consequence of, of missing a, a full preseason where he was fully fit. But I still think he's a, he's a kind of more... Um, methodical rider and you know we've spoken for years about how Remy's kind of stature is well suited to a MotoGP machine I think you know once he does get fully healed physically um, and he gets the hang off uh, off the KTM he'll be uh, he'll be in a good place so yeah I think Remy um, overall for me for the rookie of the year and Dave what about you who are you picking uh, well, uh, obviously, I'm going to pick uh, Pedro Acosta as Rookie of the Year because he's going to be champion in Moto2. But then uh, that wasn't the question you were asking. Um, it, uh, I think Raul Fernandez is a safe bet, but I'm actually quite intrigued by Marco Bezzecchi. Bezzecchi has been really good on that um, on that Ducati. And the Ducati is a really easy bike to pick up and, uh, and ride. So um, I don't think that Bezzecchi is going to end up finishing ahead of... Um, uh, Fernandez and maybe not ahead of Gardner because I, I think Remy Gardner is going to do very well as well. Uh, but I think it's going to be a battle between those three. And uh, I I think that Bezeki is going to have a very, very good year. It's going to be very impressive. I don't think he's going to end up being rookie of the year. I think it is going to be Raul Fernandez in the end. But I think um, uh, the what both, I think both Adam and uh, Neil said, it's a very good point. It's going to be very distracting. The, the whole saga with him moving to Yamaha and wanting out of KTM, that's going to be hu- a huge distraction and that's going to be the biggest threat to him. Yeah, I think for, for me, I'm going to look at uh, I'm going to look at Digia as my rookie, just to pick someone a little bit different. And obviously, the Ducati is going to be a good package. He's moving up with the Grassini team, so the same team he's been with in Moto2 and Moto3. I think that level of familiarity will make a big difference. And he's adapted fairly well during the course of the tests. He looked fast. So I'm going to go with Digi as my rookie of the year just to go a little bit differently. I think that uh, KTM battle is the one that we're all going to be focused on for most of the season. But having a better bike underneath you can make a big difference over the course of a full season. So I'll uh, I'll plump for Digi in that. We're also assuming, Steve, uh, you know, that Raul and Remy Gardner continue or don't continue with KTM. I mean, it's up to the, the Austrians to decide their their format and structure for Tech 3 for 2023. I mean, that's... But Neil's point about the, um, the potential deterioration of that relationship as the season goes on is, is an excellent one. I mean, I think uh, KTM are the kind of racing factory that where the rider is fully, fully um, kind of... Uh, applied to the job in hand, uh, then, you know, they're going to support them wholeheartedly. Uh, I think you've seen it a couple of times in the past where the rider hasn't been fully into it. Maybe in the case of Bradley Smith in the past, maybe even Joe and Zarco, there's been a, a rapid fallout in how, you know, the, the team and the personnel go racing. But if Rao keeps focus and he's bringing the results and bringing the improvement, bringing the publicity, then that situation is going to stay on an even keel. But uh, yeah, I mean, like you say, all it needs is for somebody like Bezeki to get the um, the results and the extra nod from Ducati and he's promised things for the following year. Then that could be the the complete opposite situation for someone like Fernando's who's signed a deal by early April and is on his way out already. 
Yeah, and uh, like I said, for my big surprise with the rider market changes, that's one of those things that factors into it as well. Like you said, Ad, about who's going to be where and uh, the motivation that they have. Because you look at Franco Morbidelli's season last year, that told the tale of motivation as well. Obviously, he had his, his bad injury. But in those early rounds, he didn't look like a rider that wanted to be there. And all of these guys think they're the best in the world. They think that teams and manufacturers should throw absolutely everything at them. And at the end of the day, that's why Raul Fernandez looks to be annoyed with KTM because they put him into the satellite team. So when you've got that sense of entitlement, it can make a big difference during the course of a season. Because when you go into MotoGP, you're not jumping in and winning races right from your from your debut in, in all, almost all cases. So I think that's where it's going to be interesting to see how someone like Fernandez can deal with that. Obviously, enough, we've still got another couple of things to deal with on our 2022 season preview. So we're going to take another break in the Paddock Pass podcast. And when we come back, we've got just the last couple of topics to talk about before the Qatari Grand Prix. Renthal Street Clip-On Handlebars are premium race-spec clip-ons available in nine different options, two different offsets, and six different diameters, all developed in collaboration with top-level race teams. Use the Fit My Bike tool on Renthal.com to find the correct fitment for your bike. Welcome back to the Paddock Pass podcast presented by Renthal Street and Fly Racing. And uh, we've had uh, what we think is going to be our biggest surprise. We've had who we think are going to be our rookies of the year. Adam. What's the least surprising thing that's going to happen during the course of 2022? The least surprising thing, Steve? Goodness me. Um, complaints about Michelin tyres. There we go. That's the one staple ingredient that we always have in MotoGP. And, uh, you know, it's also one of the kind of mysteries. We've made provisions and forecasts after testing, but uh, nobody really knows, you know, how the, the race bikes and the packages are going to handle on the allocated rubber once we get to the first set of Grand Prix. So there you go. And uh, Neil, what about you? What's your least surprising thing in 2022? Uh, you know, I'm probably going to have to, to trump for the old Moto3 shenanigans and antics again, Steve. Um, I'm sure there will be several moments this year where we will be uh, pulling our hair out um, and uh, screaming at the television screens at some of the uh, some of the, the, the kind of brainless antics that we see in Moto3 qualifying sessions or at the end of free practice, maybe even in the race. I really hope I'm wrong. Um, but just looking at some of the uh, some of the action that happened at the test, there was one or two names, one or two guilty parties that uh, were involved in Model Three last year that uh, didn't necessarily seem to have uh, cleaned their act up that much. Now, two of the two of the more uh, wayward figures in the class have moved up to Model Two in Gabriel Rodrigo and uh, Jeremy Alcoba. But I still feel that um, you know engine development has been frozen. We basically have a full grid of machines that are incredibly equally matched. In terms of um, ability and top speed, um, yeah. So I think uh, I think Moto Three will still have us banging our heads against the wall. Yeah, one of the riders in the course of the test obviously was Dennis Andrew. We saw have a bit of a bit of a misstep on the run down in towards the hairpin, and I found it really interesting because I was chatting to Top Rack about how he goes training and uh, you know the the battles that he has with Keenan Safoglu, the Andrew brothers himself, Baratin Safoglu as well, and how they practice basically and uh, it was really it was really interesting because you know top rack was even talking about small things like how aggressive all of these guys are in the run into turn one and i, I happened to be chatting to just someone else over the course of uh, the tests in portimao and they said that at one stage a couple of years ago 
um, Toprak was given some new gloves by Dainese and it was just to make sure that he could bed them in before a race or before the start of a season. And uh, Toprak apparently just threw them away. He said, no, no, I'll, I'll use my old gloves because whenever he goes to the carding track with those guys, you can't bed anything in because you're just under attack right from the start and you don't want to give up any advantage that you might have. So even just putting on a new pair of gloves and, and, and anything that can take away a little bit of your confidence, they can't afford to do at the track. And Anshu looks like a, dry, a rider that just takes that approach to everything. And we've seen it over the course of his Moto3 career, how that can work out at times. We've also seen some blinding speed by him. So if he's able to just curb some of that this year, he's going to be an absolute weapon. But uh, it is a big if at this stage for Moto3. But that's why uh, that's why we, we wait to line up in Qatar for it. I'm actually going to pick my least surprising thing as, and I'm sure this is no surprise to anyone that's listened to the last hour of this show, I'm going to pick my least surprising thing of 2022 as being Dave's absolute love for Pedro Acosta. It continued <laughs> unabated all the way through the season. And uh, I think you know, we'll probably end up having a nice cut at the end of the year, Dave, of all of the positives that you have to say about Pedro Acosta. What, a special six-hour-long episode? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You just need to see what, what his uh, social media is like, and then that'll really push Neil onto him as well. <laughs> is he half-naked in most of it? Yeah, there's there's probably not enough kittens in it for Neil, so uh, it's uh, it, it's no good. Yeah, no. Well, um, if I can have a go at the least surprising thing, the least surprising thing is that Mark Marcus is going to win lots of races. Um, he's going to be on the podium a lot. He's going to win the championship, and lots of people are going to complain about it. All right, fair enough. Well, let's go to our our last topic of the the preseason. Let's say what's our favourite livery of the year, and what's our least favourite livery. And uh, Adam, you're the king of the livery debate. So uh, let's kick it off with you. Are you saying that I have the best taste on the podcast, Steve? Is that why I'm going uh, Well, first? like, let's be honest. You're up against me, Neil, and Dave. So <laughs> that's literally just like, I, I, I'm not I'm not even going to insult anyone with with a comparison that I can make for that. But you definitely, it's not worth winning that contest, Ad. Okay, in my opinion, I like the simplicity of the Suzuki livery. Uh, you know, that kind of... Um glossy silver and blue that does it for me uh, with the addition of the monster energy black and uh i also quite fancy the uh taka nakagami lcr i think that, that's looking pretty mean this year so the pressure's on taka to you know make the bike uh well give it some extra screen time maybe put it in the part ferme so we can see it a bit more close up and to be honest um the pramac Ducati just doesn't really do it for me it's too much going on um you know i mean maybe it's also a little feeling of apathy before for the martinator but uh it's um yeah the livery of the, of the pramit jacati <laughs> is, is not really stirring my juices well i'll be honest i, I didn't want to ask like what your least favorite nickname is for any rider because we all knew that that would be a straight up martinator i also think that would probably be the martinator for me david and neil gordo doesn't watch that much moto gp i'm sure he'd be on board with saying it's his <laughs> least favorite but uh neil what about you what's your what's your favorite and least favorite livery well i would just like to say that if ad was a, a kind of famous bike livery from the past he would probably be paul smart's uh, imola ducati from uh, all those years ago nice silver scheme uh, that troy billis <laughs> then replicated a while uh, later um so yeah i think that's a, that's a good one that was a gore one for the one for the collection um yeah i, I was quite excited by uh, the Pramac Ducati, probably because the Martinator was uh, scrolled on the side of one of the, the fairings. I thought that oh, was really? the, the kind of finishing touch that just brought oh. brought the whole package together. Um, That's just confirmed my choice, Neil. Thank you very much. <laughs> 
but I actually do think it's quite nice with the, uh, the added blue. Um, uh, you know, I thought I thought it looked really good actually, the Primark Ducati, and uh, yeah, least favorite yeah VR forty six Ducati was not really a fan of the kind of the red, sorry the red, the black with the uh, yellow splashes. It looks a bit naff, I think, for a MotoGP machine. Yeah, I have to say that it is easily one of the worst liveries I've ever seen. I thought it was a testing livery because it just it, it's it's it, yeah no I'm not I'm not feeling that. I thought the Grassini one as well. So uh, clearly I'm very much against uh, Aldo Drudi and his liveries. But um, I I would say one thing as well, uh, Neil. If Adam was uh, that old school Ducati during the course of a typical season, I would certainly be a traditional blood red Ducati such as the sunburn that I tend to get throughout the course of a season so that would be my livery of of uh, of, of of my choice Steve if if we if we're all liveries then I think I'm going to have to plump for the um you know the late 1980s Pepsi Suzuki just very cool a little bit retro you know not not too flashy just a little bit understated no for me there you go that's that's my yeah, that's my claim not, uh, that's where well, you've just got far too much of an opinion on yourself there like that's, uh, listen, that's definitely I, not going to be the case one thing I do want to say is um uh, one thing to keep a lookout for in uh, the March issue of um, On Track Off Road is that I've done a few interviews with bike designers because um, there is, uh, you know, a compromise when it comes to the design of these MotoGP bikes. And I think when you see the VR46 Ducati uh, static, then, you know, like you guys say, there's not really much to it. But I think it's one of those machines and colors when you see it moving on the track, it's really going to stand out. Um, You know, the bike designers themselves talk about the you know, the the hindrance of seeing motorcycles on TV, the varying light reflections, the fact that the bike's tilted over a ridiculous angle for most of the time, there's lots of uh, factors involved there. So it's, um, I mean, we joke about livery design, but there's actually a little bit of a uh, mathematical and design thinking going into it. So um, watch out for that story because it's quite an interesting one. Well, I look forward to the story, but the reason the VR46 uh, livery is going to stand out is because it's absolutely minging. Um, <laughs> uh, that is, it, I mean, it is, it's a tough call between that and the powder blue of um, uh, of the Grassini livery, because, uh, because that's not exactly uh, my uh, my favourite thing. Um, um, I actually, I actually... I'm with Neil. I quite like the the Pramac um, livery. It's a big, big improvement on last year. Uh, but I have to say, I do think the Suzuki's nicest. That 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 little touch of black has really sort of finished it off. I think it's the I think it's the nicest. Yeah, I think under the lights in Qatar, especially, it's going to look really cool. And uh, to be honest, all the bikes look really cool in Qatar. But uh, Neil, we're going to come to you for our last question of the day. Who's going to win in Qatar? Who's going to look the best out in track? It's a really tough one, Steve. Um, you know, going off the last couple of years, it's uh, it's really tough to say. I mean, the second race in Qatar last year, everyone was was fast. There was like eleven guys at the at the front basically battling. I'm going to just go with Pekka Banyaya though. I think I think it's going to be a Marquez Banyaya battle. And I think Peko's going to win it. You know, Ducati has a, has a great record there. Um, yes, the bike might not be in, in finest shape. Um, they might not have found the, the, the kind of base setting that they're all searching for. But I think Banyaya was pretty confident leaving Mandalika. And um, yeah, had he not made a mistake in the, the second race there last year at Turn 1, I think he could have well won that race. So... Yeah, he's, he's kind of the form man in MotoGP. And um, yeah, I think Peko would be the man I'd put my money on. Yeah, and obviously you mentioned Ducati's 
record that they've had there. They won three in a row with Casey. They won two in a row with Davi. And uh, they've had a lot of success there. Bagnaya, be interesting to see what he can do. I think he won a Moto2 race there as well. But uh, Dave, what about you? Who's going to pick up the win in Qatar? Uh, Fabio Quartararo is going to win at, at Qatar because Ooh. the the Yamaha is pretty much dialed in. They know what it is. They know what it's capable of. Uh, I think that Quartararo can get on the front row. And if he can get on the front row, then he can get away and he'll be uncatchable. I do think that Marquez is going to be very, very strong. I think there could well be a marquez Banyar battle, but I think it's going to be for second rather than for first because I think that Quartararo is going to get away. Also, it's the first race of the year. It's the first race of Fabio Quartararo's title defense. And he's going to want to uh, stamp his authority on it. I don't think that authority will last through the year but it will um it, it's going to be a very strong start yeah because even david you mentioned there about uh about mark and uh he's usually been a podium man in qatar rather than an outright winner i think it's probably eight years seven eight years since he won in qatar so uh obviously uh it'd be interesting to see what happens there and uh quattro and vinales did the double last year in qatar so we know the yamaha works well there adam what about you who's gonna pick up the 25 points uh just quickly steve i i kept saying it last year and um it didn't really happen so i'm not gonna break from tradition i think jack miller uh will finally get the win in qatar after looking so fast last year i mean we can try to forget the fact that the Martinator also made a sort of pole position was a particularly strong so the Ducatis are going to be the more competitive bikes there you would think um, and you know Milo provided us with fantastic entertainment of Joanne Mir last year uh, but I, I have a feeling that he might be able to sneak ahead and get the job done so that's my pick. In Moto 2 I think Sam Lowe's going to be in good form and then uh, Moto 3 God knows let's go for a British double and say John McPhee in his first ride with Husqvarna um, well, I, I tell you what, I hadn't thought about all three classes yet. I, I do like the shout for Jack Miller. Obviously, if you think back to last year, whenever we sat down and we interviewed Jack just leading up to that first round, we did talk an awful lot about the expectation that there was that he was going to lead Ducati's charge. And then you look at one year on and how much all that has changed with Peko already signed up for a new contract, staying on for another two years, Miller under pressure, like and uh, what he can do going forward. I do like the shout of Jack because obviously with a one kilometer long straight, Ducati's always good there. Obviously, like I said, we saw Davi win a couple of times there. So I think it's going to be a Ducati winner. And I think it's going to be very difficult to choose who it's actually going to be, whether it'll be Peko, Jack or Jorge Martin. I think that it's a toss-up between who ends up just being able to to get things dialed in on the day. I'll go with Peko, but I'd uh, I'd really like to see Miller get the season off to a good start in the Moto Two class. You know, a bit like what I said for the championship predictions. Um, if Sam Lowe's wrist is good, you know, I'd expect him to be able to win the championship. I'd expect him to be able to win in Qatar. Obviously, he won two races there last year. Um, the Moto Two class, though, it's it's open if. Uh, Fernandez is able to hit the ground running. Obviously, David's going to go for Pedro Costa. We know that. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I think it's it's tough to win on your debut in two different classes. And that's going to be a real challenge for him. In the Moto3 class, I'm just going to go with Fadja. I'm going to go with the guy that I expect to win the championship. I think he'll start the season really strong and uh, we'll see what he can do. Just uh, just so that everyone has has the uh, accumulator from me as well, because I didn't mention it earlier on. If, uh, if I went with... Peko, Lowe's and Foggia, it would be a 50 to 1 bet. 25 to 1 if uh, if I end up going with Fernandez. So I might hedge me bet a little bit and uh, and just put two different bets on for that. But uh, 
I think for uh, for us, it's obviously going to be exciting to get our, our season underway fully with uh, all of our Patreon supporters. And uh, at patreon.com forward slash Paddock Pass podcast, you can sign up for a $3 tier, a $10 tier, or we've got a new $50 tier as well that includes a little bit of merchandise as well and uh, a one-on-one Zoom call with the Paddock Pass podcast team. So check out Patreon for a lot of additional content all the way through the season. But uh, that's going to kick off right from the start in Qatar. And uh, obviously, Adam, we didn't get a chance to mention that at the top of the show, you mentioned about how in March you're going to have that feature on On Track Off Road. There's been a big departure for you with the format of the of the magazine, and uh, it looks really good with uh, basically a, a web a web feature instead of uh, being the full magazine. Yeah, cheers, Steve. It's um, a switch basically from a PDF structure to like a, a web scene. So um, you know, just being able to show off big photos and designs and keep that format instead of it just being like a website um and then collecting various articles and stories together for our monthly kind of issue so we're just wrapping february uh, today actually with um Matali basin and the first round of mxgp uh, so that's all done and then hopefully starting the march issue with uh, the first round in qatar uh, I've got to do the gauntlet of um, PCR testing tomorrow so let's see if that comes out positive or negative and I can actually get on a plane uh, and then, yeah, just carry on the content through the year. But it's um, it's a slightly different story. I mean, Otor started in 2011, so it's been a good 10 years with the same sort of format. And it's just time to move on. Yeah, I have to say, it looked really good, the features I saw during the course of February. So everyone should check out On Track Off Road to see some really cool features. I love the presentation of it. I love the pictures, and uh, it's always a nice format. David, obviously enough, we've got one extreme to the other. You've got on-track off-road that's really polished, looks the part, and uh, it's all about the user experience. And then you've got motomatters.com, which is not like that at all. But uh, <laughs> Moto Matters is all about the content. And uh, what's the plan for you during the course of this season? Um, more background, more analysis, more in-depth, more interviews, um, more interesting. Okay, well, that's uh, definitely going to tick the boxes for a lot of a uh, lot of our Paddock Pass podcast listeners. So check out motomatters.com. Become a site supporter on that as well, David, because you get an awful lot of the content a lot earlier when you're a site supporter, don't you? Yeah, and also, uh, you know, there's going to be a lot more exclusive content for site supporters as well. Uh, it's it, I, I'm going to try and make it worth it. Yeah, and uh, it certainly always has been worth it. I remember right from when you started the site, I was reading it, and uh, you always get an awful lot of information from that. And like I said as well, on the Paddock Note show for our Patreon supporters, you get an awful lot of information from that as well, where uh, the four of us get together on a Zoom call pretty much straight after the debriefs have finished, and uh, we're able to get everyone up to speed from the Paddock. So keep an eye on your feed for that during the course of the Qatari Grand Prix. But uh, from all of us it's uh, a big thank you to everyone for listening to the show big thank you to Renthal Street and Fly Racing for supporting the podcast and uh, we're just geared up and excited now for the opening round of the 2022 season this episode of the Paddock Pass podcast was produced by Jensen Beeler David Emmett Steve English Neil Morrison and Adam Wheeler it was edited by Brian Burnett music is provided by The Liberty all inquiries can be sent via email to team at paddockpasspodcast.com 